Everyone, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. What an amazing show that we just finished recording. We talk about the European Super League, if it's going to happen, what it means for soccer as a whole. We go over, over the different Champions Leagues, UEFA Champions League, CONCACAF Champions League, what's going on, who we think is going to win. We also talk about MLS, the U.S. men's national team players that you should watch out for that are playing currently in MLS as the season kicks off. But before we get to that, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. Again, it's at Final Third Show. And leave a rating wherever you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict. Give us a follow as well. We always, always appreciate that. And with that, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another news and predictions episode of the Final Third Podcast. My name is Jack. I'm a Chelsea fan, Minnesota United fan. Uh, I'm I'm forgetting all of a sudden. <laughs> so Atal- uh, Atalanta fan, French national team fan, and Slovakian national team fan. There I found go. all five in, uh, eventually, and I'm joined here with AJ. Yeah, I'm everyone's favorite Minnesota United, West Ham United and U.S. national team fan, both the men and the women's side. We're here to talk about news and predictions, and we got a lot of great stuff to talk about in all of that. But before that, we just want to say, of course, follow our Twitter and Instagram. I'm slowly getting back into posting on Instagram, so follow us at Final Third Show on both of those. And we also want to thank everyone who came out to our live stream last Friday for the Seattle Sounders-Minnesota United game to kick off the mls season we had a live stream on youtube on our youtube channel which is uh, we don't have a custom url but it's you know the final third podcast and we had a lot of fun we talked to a lot of different people we had some technical difficulties to start out but we were really really excited to you know talk to some people that we've never talked to before have people tune in to listen to us rant and rave and cry over minnesota united but we also have a very very exciting announcement in terms of another live stream jack if you want to announce this one yeah well as we mentioned uh aj's a west ham fan i'm a chelsea fan so of course of course we had to get a live stream going for that one that game west ham united versus chelsea this weekend that stream's going to start at 11 a.m kickoff is at 11 30 and these are in central time of course uh and you know, we would love to see see a ton of people there so you can see a West Ham fan and Chelsea fan commentate over the game all at once. Uh, you don't have to watch like just one team's perspective, I guess you could say. So it'll be a fun time and hopefully there won't be as many technical difficulties. Yes. And if you want to learn more about where you can find that, how you can tune in, follow us on our Twitter at Final Third Show. We'll have announcements or just look for our YouTube channel which is, again, no custom URL, but it's the final third podcast. You'll be able to find it probably. And yeah, you'll be able to see Jack crying as you know West Ham pound Chelsea 6-0. No, 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 no. No, not Pro- a chance. Not probably a chance. the opposite if there's any going to be any <laughs> pounding. And if anyone's going to be crying, it's probably going to be me. But with that, let's get into the brunt of the episode, which is going to be our big stories. Again, we uh, the way this episode works, we have our five big stories, some smaller real quick stories we go into the u.s mentee corner where we talk about a larger singular trend in the u.s men's national team uh space where you know we talk about that then we go over last week's predictions and then this week's predictions where we cover the biggest games i'll start out with uh the first big story 
and that is the European Super League. If you've been paying attention to soccer at all this weekend, particularly today when we're recording this, it's Sunday. A lot of big news around the European Super League has been released. The first question is, what is it? Well, it's 12 clubs among Europe's elite who are working on forming a breakaway league currently being referred to as the, quote, European Super League. These four, these 12 clubs include the likes of Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham Hotspur, Chelsea, Arsenal, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Juventus. So when we're talking about, you know, because this is the final third, we like to go in-depth, not just on what it is, but what it means. I figured I'd break this into a couple different segments. Number one, the format. Number two, why is this happening? Number four, what's been the response? And five, what's next? That's not even five, that's four, but whatever. The first is the format. It's going to be 20 clubs, if it happens, 15 permanent members who can never be relegated or taken away from the competition, and five invited teams who qualify annually. So Arsenal, for example, can finish dead last every year, and let's face it, they probably will, but they won't get relegated. And Ajax can potentially win the whole competition, but have to qualify each year. It would be split into two 10-team groups. They would play each other home and away in a round-robin format, and eventually the top four teams from each group will get, will get put in a knockout-style playoff tournament to decide the winner. This would replace the Champions League, I believe, for the teams that qualify, and the games will happen midweek, while clubs still compete in their domestic leagues. So why is this happening? Money, of course. It's been reported that teams who enter will gain £310 million by doing so. Champions League qualification is only only 100 million pounds for clubs in debt like barca and real this is a huge opportunity to finally get into the green and for clubs with american owners whose only purpose is to make money like liverpool's fsg or the glazers with united it's a great way to continue hoarding wealth and these clubs will see the potential in tv revenue gate receipts and more that comes with playing the other quote elite clubs week in and week out that'd be huge money for them so what's been the response from the other, quote, big clubs like PSG and Bayern, there's moral opposition. They believe that competition should be opened not just to big clubs, but smaller clubs like Atalanta, Ajax, or Leicester. That's why they have not been agreed to be a part of this league. From fans, even more opposition. It's clear that fans want to keep the sanctity of their domestic competition intact and see this move for what it is, a move for money and power conducted by team owners that just don't care about the fans. And from UEFA, FIFA, and the football associations of the 12 clubs, there's been legal opposition. The FA, the Royal Spanish Football Federation, the Italian Football Federation, uh, along with UEFA, released a joint statement condemning any club that would form a breakaway league. These clubs will be banned from domestic competitions, European competitions, and international competitions. Players who play for such teams can be banned from representing their national teams. They have stated they will do literally everything in their power to stop the league from forming. Many governments have also stepped in to condemn and threaten legal action against the teams. So what's next? And more importantly, what does this mean for the game? First, we have to see if it gets approved by the clubs and what the details are. That's what's next. If something happens between when we're recording this and when we're releasing this, uh, I'll put a little addendum right here. All right, so quick update. The 12 clubs have actually announced their intentions to create uh, the European Super League. They've also left the European Club Association, which is the governing body of clubs in UEFA. There's 
still a lot that we don't know whether or not they're going to get banned from competitions, whether or not players are going to get barred from their national teams. But that's currently where we stand as of 12.32 a.m. Central Time, Monday morning. We are going to do a huge deep dive on the European Super League. So if there's any news that comes out between now and when we record on Tuesday or even Wednesday or Thursday, we'll be sure to include it. But that's currently where we stand. There is a lot still on the line. We don't know if Champions League is going to get affected this season or next season. There's, there's, there's just a lot going on. But that's the current update. And we're back. Okay. What this means, well, yeah, I've tweeted it. It could be the downfall of soccer as we know it. A breakaway league means less money for Champions League, for domestic competitions, and that severely hampers the clubs who aren't in the competition. And this creates a knock-on effect that hurts the smaller clubs and the lower leagues of those countries, and thus weakens their ability to develop and train players due to the limited revenue. I won't be surprised if we see the quality of play dip all across Europe due to the lack of investment into smaller clubs and clubs that are known for development. We could even see a lot of local clubs begin to die out or at least fade from relevance due to the European Super League stealing eyeballs. Why invest in Newcastle if they have a 1 in 5 chance of qualifying at best? Just invest in Arsenal because they're always there. There's also the competitive angle. We're going to see a lot less fair competition because we have clubs who aren't the best in Europe consolidate power as if they are. Juventus have lost to Ajax, Porto, and Lyon in the last three Champions League round of 16s. Yet here they are in the Super League, and those three aren't. Leicester have been consistently the better team over Spurs and Arsenal in recent years, yet those two have a seat and Leicester don't. As such, those small clubs are going to struggle competitively and financially, and worse teams that are in the Super League are, will begin to succeed. That's what's going to happen if it gets passed, but in the meantime, it's going to be very contentious these next few weeks. Lawsuits and legal cases will be flying, is it legal for them to just create a new competition under everyone's noses? Can FIFA actually bar players from their teams, from national teams? And how does antitrust laws play into all of this? That's a question that I don't want to answer, maybe in a deep dive. But all I know is that these lawyers are the big winners here. Jack, I'm sure we both agree that this is something that's very negative. But the question I do want to ask you, which is something that I feel like people aren't asking is is this something that is avoidable in the first place? Yeah, I absolutely think so. Uh, I think it's avoidable to get rid of this or for this to not happen. Sorry, uh, because especially given the Bundesliga team opposition, uh, spe specifically Dortmund and Bayern Munich. You know, Bayern Munich is one of the biggest teams in the world right now. They they may have lost in the Champions League quarterfinals, whatever, but they're still one of the biggest teams in the world. Their opposition to that significantly reduces the quality of that competition and therefore might lead to it being like even less relevant because right now they can only scrounge up 12 teams across three leagues. And, and honestly, I, I don't think that if, the, if they can't get teams from every one of these major leagues, like, you know, if they can't get PSG, uh, who is like, you know, probably one of the biggest money hungry clubs in, in, uh, yeah. in, in Europe then they're, they're not going to be able to su succeed. And then also, the fan opposition. I, I was scrolling through TikTok this morning, and nearly every time I saw someone talking about the European Super League was firmly opposed to it. Every, there, actually, there's only one instance I saw of, of someone supporting it, and it was a Man City fan saying that uh, they would need to do it because uh, what, that's what all the other clubs are doing. But everyone else, so like 1 to 1,000, it feels like, 
no fan wants this. This is this is the kind of thing that ruins football or soccer. This is the kind of thing that would lead to this the destruct the destruction of the game. And I I'm really happy that you know UEFA, the Premier League, Spanish Football Federation, Italian Football Federation are all taking harsh action on some of these clubs that are threatening to join it. And I saw Gary Neville on Sky Sports, a clip of him saying that, you know, if these clubs actually try and join it, then the the league should take action and deduct points from them or instantly relegate them. And if so, you know, I'm a Chelsea fan. If they do that, fine, whatever. I, I, I'm fine with that. As long as they don't ruin the game by doing this stupid, stupid idea. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what they say. The gears of capitalism keep on turning. It's it's going to be hard to fight money if you don't have money. And that's the that's the reason why the FA and FIFA and UEFA are doing this. Because but these by these clubs doing it, those organizations are losing out on money. And so really there, there there's no real option here that's not morally corrupt. But you know, whatever that whatever happens, we'll be here reporting it, hopefully. All right, so more updates on the European Super League, and we're going to talk about this on Thursday, so look out for the episode. As of 11.18 a.m. on Monday the 19th, we've had some more news. We have UEFA president, I believe, coming out to say that the players that will play in the Super League will be banned from playing in the World Cup and Euros. They will not be allowed to play for the national team. So we have that as a confirmation of UEFA's intentions of what they want to do with the the ESL, what they want to do with the players who are involved, growing discontent with UEFA and FIFA, trying to get these these teams some some punishments going forward in their domestic leagues. We've had many, many players and managers and former players, former members of the footballing world come out in uh, opposition to the ESL. We have Bruno Fernandez saying dreams can't be by... I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but, um, you know, English is a second language, so give him a break. We've had the Norwegian national team manager speak out. We have Mesut Ozil speak out. We have Bayern, Dortmund, and RB Leipzig speak out against joining the ESL. We have Ian Sterling from Manchester United, players that are either voicing their discontent or at least retweeting and replying to the people who are expressing their opposition against them, such as Richarlison, who tweeted an applause emoji in response to Gary Neville's rant about the Super League. We've had a lot of fans protest outside of the stadium, such as Anfield and uh, outside of Old Trafford. And we also have news that the Premier League will host a meeting with the 14 other clubs not part of the ESL. What that means going forward, what that actually means for the Premier League, we do not know yet. So that's where we are right now. Again, on Thursday, we're going to do a huge deep dive on the Super League. So check out that. But in other news, we also have Jose Mourinho of Tottenham Hotspur. Just He just got sacked. And somehow that's not the biggest news of the day. Really, really interesting to see that happen not related to the ESL, I suppose, but it's it's related to him losing the the locker room. But with that, let's go on to the Champions League, which for now still exists. Jack, we originally had the what quarterfinals of the competition conclude. Why don't you give us a little roundup of that? 
Yeah, well, uh, I'll start. I'll start with the first game, which was one of the more exciting, I think, of the second legs of the quarterfinals. So PSG and Bayern faced off. PSG had a three to two lead, three away goals, and Bayern were ready to attack, but they didn't have the same attacking forces that they had that they usually are blessed with. They were missing Robert Lee. They were missing Serge Gnabry and several others. Uh, so they were a severely depleted team, but they were able to strike first from PSG's former player who kept them in the Champions League at the quarterfinal stage last year, uh, Eric Choupo-Moting, who scored a header in the 40th minute. And honestly, Bayern Munich should have won this game. Leroy Sané fluffed about five or six chances during this game, and if he had converted just one of them, it, it would have been over because PSG did not look likely to break through Bayern, in all honesty. And, you know, PSG advanced on away goals, which is huge because it's revenge for the final just uh, just eight months ago now. So that that was a very exciting game. And, he, and next we had my team, which was Chelsea versus Porto. Uh, you know, Chelsea were able to restrict Porto to pretty much nothing until... A moment of pure quality and class at the very end. AJ, I'm not sure if you saw this goal, but the goal from Medi yeah. to Remy, I as a Chelsea fan, like, sure, it counts as a loss technically in that second leg, but I don't even care. <laughs> that goal was so good. It it that's fine. They they got us they got a sick goal. Chelsea move on overall, winning two one on aggregate after getting two away goals. Uh Chelsea didn't really look likely to score in this game although they didn't really need to, they just needed to restrict chances. And that's exactly what they did. So, uh, you know, Porto, their nice little run in the Champions League after beating Juventus comes to an end at the hands of Chelsea. Next, we had Liverpool versus Real Madrid. Liverpool were hoping for another major comeback in the Champions League that they've been known for for quite a while, but it did not come to fruition this time around. Uh, there were This, this ended 0-0, and it it was kind of, it was just a really boring match, honestly. There were so many missed chances, and, you know, uh, Liverpool only had four shots on target, Real Madrid had two, and Real Madrid didn't really attack. They kept possession a little bit, but they didn't really attack, and Liverpool were trying to break forward, but just couldn't quite find the cutting edge. Salah fluffed a few chances, Mane did as well. They just couldn't break through, and overall, there was no comeback for Liverpool this time around. They get knocked out of the Champions League for the second season in a row after winning just two years ago. And Real Madrid go on, and they're going to face Chelsea in the semifinals, but let's discuss who PSG will be facing, and that was the winner between Dortmund and Man City. Manchester City ended up winning this one, but it wasn't without some nerves by uh, for the citizens. You know, Jude Bellingham struck first after having a goal probably wrongly ruled out for a foul uh, in the first leg in the 15th minute. And, you know, uh, Dortmund got lucky with some really lucky bounces inside the box after City made some chances in the first half. But uh, hits the Dortmund goalkeeper, the backup goalkeeper, I should say, since Berkey's been injured most of the season, uh, did it just enough to keep it 1-0 at halftime. But whatever Pep did... It must have worked because they came out bla all guns blazing. Mares wins a penalty in the 55th minute, and Foden, once again, is City's hero and scores in the 75th 
to take them through to, I believe, their first Champions League semifinal in a while. We're going to talk more about that game in a little bit, but that's the Champions League roundup. AJ, which of these, I'm, I have two questions for you, and one maybe if we have some time. Which of these matches was the most exciting for you, uh, and what matchup in the semifinals are you most looking forward to? Ooh, I would say most exciting, I think, would be Dortmund and City, because for a while there, it looked like Dortmund would be able to advance past a very powerful Pep Guardiola-led Man City. And in terms of you know what matchup I'm lo- most looking forward to next week when these matches start, uh, Chelsea and Real Madrid is a very interesting matchup given their history, given that Eden Hazard is coming back. Uh, that would be really interesting to watch. But I think it has to be, for me at least, City versus PSG, El Plastico, the Oil Derby, whatever you want to call it. These are two behemoths of teams that are going to be, in my mind, whoever wins this match, they're going to be the favorite going into the final. No offense to Chelsea, Jack, if they make it. But these are two very powerful money-back teams, and to see them clash off in a semifinal is going to be very exciting. Jack, which matchup did you... were you most looking forward to last week and which matchup are you looking forward to this time around? I think I have a, a, an idea. Uh, well, I was most looking forward to PSG versus Bayern. Honestly, I, I, I felt like Chelsea versus Porto was going to be a rather okay. boring match for the second leg, but PSG and Bayern, I was really excited for after that first leg and it kind of delivered kind of didn't. Uh, but what matchup am I most looking forward to? Come on. It, it's Chelsea versus Real Madrid. Uh, while you're interested in those two money back sides, I'm looking at the European pedigree side. I guess you could say Chelsea have one Champions okay. League and Real Madrid have 13. So there's quite a gap, but it's <laughs> undeniable that one side has the Champions League trophies and the other side doesn't. So it, it's a pretty interesting. Uh, it's two interesting semifinals for different reasons. So mm-hmm. uh, but my final question, and you kind of answered it already. What what's your, the best name you've heard for the Man City versus oh, PSG yeah. Derby? And you you kind of went went through it. The Oil Derby, El Plastico. I've heard El Cashico. Uh, you know, I I think I think that it's a pretty funny coincidence that the two like Arabian Peninsula back teams are facing off in against each other with some big geopolitical implications. Yeah, I was I was gonna going off that I was gonna say proxy war. Yeah. <laughs> right here in, yeah. the, in the proxy for in the UCL. Yeah, it's it's going to be uh, crazy, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. But going from one Champions League to another, maybe definitely actually not as impressive or as high of a pre- pedigree as the UEFA Champions League, but CONCAF Champions League round of 16 is completed. I don't necessarily want to get into the individual matchups, if you follow us on Twitter, if you follow anyone in U.S. soccer on Twitter, they will tell you all about the matchups. I kind of want to talk about how we got to this point. How did MLS do so well in the round of 16? Because if you have not heard, for the first time ever, we have five MLS teams in the quarterfinals of the competition, with us being in preseason form and historically dropping results to both Liga MX and Central American teams It's incredibly impressive that MLS isn't just perfect in its qualification record for the quarterfinals so far, but also undefeated in the competition this season. It's historical how well MLS is doing, especially when you consider that we have five MLS teams in the competition right now, 
compared to three Liga MX teams. So why has MLS improved? That's the question I'm asking. And it's increased spending. Before the 2017-2018 CCL season, our spending and ambition compared to Liga MX sides was minuscule. Now we have TAM, homegrown players. We've become more of a selling league, and this means owners and GMs have more money to throw around and spend on not just star DPs, even though it's definitely a point that they have put investment into that section too, but actual depth that can bring balance throughout both the attack and the defense of a team. And that's been huge. So now MLS's main issue isn't can we compete with Costa Rica and Liga MX at all. Our main concern is can our A-team stay healthy because if they can, they can beat a Cruz Azul. They can beat a Club Leon. The gap is closing. And it's mostly due to teams increasing their spending. Before, you would have three strong players because you have three DP spots. And after those three players, quality took a nosedive because you can spend as much as you want on the salary of a designated player. But after that, you know, it becomes limited again. And so you can't spend on really high quality players. So you go into these away trips to Mexico City, to San Jose in Costa Rica, and you just don't have the depth and raw talent to see games out. With real investments into these next 8 to 12 players after those three designated players, we have teams that can not only survive in these conditions, but thrive. And that's thanks to TAM and homegrown signings allowing the, the, salary, the salary hits of these players to become not so much of a problem. But now can an MLS team go from doing well into this competition to winning the whole, whole thing? That's where we go into the different matchups. We have Portland versus America. Not an easy matchup as Portland take on Liga MX's second best team, but as shown in, by their loss to Olympia at home and their recent draw against Cruz Azul, America are human. Portland have the personnel to challenge even in the Estadio Azteca, especially if America focuses on the league in order to take the title out of Cruz Azul's hands. We also have Atlanta United versus the Philadelphia Union. This is the only all-MLS matchup in the quarters, guaranteeing MLS at least one berth into the semis. I think Atlanta is the stronger of these two teams, especially if Heinze can get the team firing in the weeks to come. Uh, Columbus Crew versus Monterey is the second or the third matchup. Monterey have had success in this competition, being one of the most successful uh, in the CCL. And they're fighting for third in the league, a ways behind league leaders Cruz Azul and America. And they have the ability to drop points against top-level talent. And they're also playing Tigres, their most heated rival the weekend before their home leg. So it's possible they throw all their talent at that game and play their B team against Columbus, or at least a tired A team. With Columbus's talent, I think this is the MLS slash Liga MX matchup that has the best chance of falling towards MLS's favor. But keep an eye on how Porter shuffles his backups in order to make up for the injured players. That's going to dictate what happens in this matchup. You have Nagby, Morris, and Molino out, so the league and the CCL can really hamper the team's health. And lastly, we have Toronto versus Cruz Azul. With Toronto FC still missing many of their starters, still experiencing a bit of uncertainty through their stadium-slash-living situation, I fully expect them to lose this matchup. Cruz Azul are on top of Liga MX, and Toronto are not and will not be on top of MLS anytime soon. This matchup comes down to can Toronto survive? Can, do they have the grit? Do they have the defensive sol solidarity to keep Cruz Azul, they're a tsunami of an attack, out? My predictions uh, for this, uh, sorry, the semi matchups out of these quarterfinals will be America versus Atlanta on one side and Columbus versus Cruz Azul on the other. 
these matchups begin next week, not this this week. So we'll probably do some predictions next week. But Jack, my question for you is which matchup are you most excited for out of those four? Yeah, well, I it's it's kind of tough because it's between two of them for me, Columbus and Monterey and Portland versus Club America, because they're both big teams in MLS facing off against big teams in Liga MX. And ultimately, I I'm, I think Portland versus Club America is going to be the the more the most exciting one, just because, uh, you know, Columbus with all of the injuries right now, I, I feel like they might it, it's going to be a bit of a struggle and it might lead to some hunkering down and some really big defensive plays. Uh, and on the other hand, Portland looks strong after their CCL performance and Club America looks vulnerable, but we know they're a good team. So I think that that has the possibility to produce some fireworks out there. All right. I am going to have to agree. I, I think that's a, that's a really good choice. And with that, let's go into monumental moment for Bayern Munich, for DFB in particular. This is Hansi Flick leaving Bayern Munich at the end of the season. Jack, walk us through. What happened? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the sextuple winning Bayern Munich coach, Hansi Flick, who took over just halfway through last season, announced on Saturday that he is going to leave the club at the end of the season. He said this after Bayern's 3-2 win over Wolfsburg on Saturday, and he said that he made the decision to do this. And, you know, it, it, it didn't look very good, and Bayern certainly weren't happy, and even said that they, they were very disappointed with Flick's decision to do so. But overall, it, it's not very clear why he would take, like, why he would take such a step like this, Although, there's only one big thing that I could think of for this, which is the DFB, or German national team job, is open after this summer's Euro tournament. And Hansi Flick has been the most linked coach to that job. And because of that, and because of his success in working with German players, it looks like the uh, that seems like the career path he wants to take in this. And, you know... It seems like an odd time to do it, especially since Bayern Munich just got knocked out of the Champions League quarterfinals. And, uh, you know, they're they're just about to win the Bundesliga. And it's been a turbulent season for the usual champions and also current European champions until uh, late May. But I think that his mind is looking at, you know, there's not many chances to take over for a national team. There really aren't, especially like Germany, who likes to keep their coaches for quite some time. And this is kind of just a, a, one, a, a, a once in a lifetime opportunity, potentially. And, and because of that, I, I think that's that's what he's looking at. And while Bayern Munich certainly aren't going to be happy, you know, I, I think that he's making the decision that he wants to make. And you can't really fault him for that. But given that that's most likely the reason he's going to leave Bayern AJ, do you think that he would be a good fit for that national team position? Ooh, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I would say, yeah, I, I do think he is for no other reason than, well, a couple of reasons. A, he's a really good coach, obviously leading Bayern to such a feat as he did is something I can't be ignored when you're talking about potential coaches that can take over such a, a storied, historic national team. He has the pedigree for that, but also just on a, kind of practical note, he's managing Bayern right now. 
Bayern make up a good amount of the talent for the German national team. He is managing the best team in Germany. To to move from Bayern to the German national team position, that's kind of a step up, yes. But he's going to be dealing with a lot of the same personnel. You know, you have Manuel Neuer, you have uh, you have Mueller, you have all you know all these different players that he's worked with before, and it's going to be a very easy transition for him if he does take that job. So I think he's very well equipped to take over that position and potentially lead Germany back into their former glory days. I'd say former as if it wasn't just a couple years ago, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Now we're talking about Inter Miami. We have some updates on their DP situation that w- was troubling them last week. So as we reported on last week, Inter Miami were in a roster compliance dispute with the league after MLS found that they have four DPs on their roster because Matuidi is not a TAM player as previously thought, but a designated player. You can have a max of three designated players that allow you to spend as much as you want on their salary and doesn't count towards the MLS's salary cap. So they now have Gonzalo Higuain, Blaise Matuidi, and Rodolfo Pizarro as DPs, in addition to Matias Pellegrini. So in order to get around this, in order to get down to those three, they've loaned Pellegrini to their third division USL League One club, Fort Lauderdale CF to become roster compliant and are now shopping him in the summer. And it's a really disappointing signing that's turned out for him because to really no fault of his own, he's been frozen out and is about to get let go. He could have had a breakout season this year, but unfortunately he'll be known for this saga and the singular goal he scored last year. But that's not all. And this is where it gets really, really hairy because Inter Miami are compliant right now but they had four DPs last year as well throughout the entire season, or at least when Blaise Matuidi came over. And still, they only got 10th in the East, so that's pretty embarrassing for them. But now, we're speculating what their punishment could be, because this has never happened in the history of MLS. No team has ever circumvented the system like this. So what is their punishment? Should they get a transfer ban, TAM taken away, international spots taken away? Who knows? But it shows the disorganization in the Miami front office. They can't figure out transfers, and when they do, they're duds. And they're hasty in hiring and firing managers and personnel. Their management of their brand was lackluster. Everything about this team from the beginning to right now has been a huge swing and an even huger miss. One of the biggest letdowns in league history, and I don't say that lightly. The fact that they came in as hyped as they were, only to be let down is... Very disappointing, but I will say we are recording this while they're playing the LA Galaxy, and they're currently tied 2-2, so I don't know. Maybe it's going to be fine after all, or maybe LA Galaxy is just a bad club, and the fact that they're tying them is not great. But Jack, I'm going to ask you, what should Inter Miami's punishment be for having complete roster uncompliance last year? I don't know. We've never been in this situation. What do you think their punishment should be? Well, I mean, I don't think that it should do anything with salary or like transfers for one. And the reason for that is because I think it might hurt the league as a whole, especially its ability to recruit like big players and also bring in any uh, like, you know, new young talent that could really promote the league. So I don't think it should be something like that. Uh, and what I should, what I think it should be is a points deduction. I think that like, you know, not like a major points deduction, but maybe like a six point deduction, I think 
would be a relatively fair thing uh to to do like just just uh like assuming like matweedy was involved in like you know two wins at least and being like okay well you cheated so here take away take away two of the wins and add that on as a penalty this season i think that that's the best way to do it because it doesn't it doesn't really hurt the league as a whole and it also has precedent like you know when efl teams commit like these kinds of uh this kind of stuff not i mean they don't have salary caps or anything like that but like sheffield wednesday they got a point deduction a 12 point deduction which is pretty heavy uh i i think a six point deduction would suffice for this and you know as we were saying this uh miami might be getting some karma because la galaxy just went up three to two against them so yeah Uh, chicharito also just scored a a a brace that's that's pretty impressive (laughs) by them but we're not talking about la galaxy right now we're talking about we're talking about inter miami how much they suck but that is our five stories done we gotta keep this uh, train moving so let's go over the real quick section jack want to talk about the fa cup final being set yeah well the fa cup final of course uh is coming up soon in may and we have our two teams chelsea and leicester will face off at wembley and uh they both pulled off one zero wins over different Types of teams. Chelsea pulled off a 1-0 win against Man City, and uh, Leicester pulled off a 1-0 win against Southampton. They were both relatively close games, with both keepers uh, on the winning sides, Keppa and Schmeichel, making some good saves. And uh, they both scored in around the same time. The 55th minute was about when both of the goals were scored in each of those, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and this is going to be interesting because it's a rematch of the quarterfinal matchup from last season in which Chelsea prevailed one to zero. So I'm hoping for a repeat of that personally, but uh, it should be a fun matchup because, you know, it's it's not the clubs that I think a lot of people. Well, I mean, one of them was expected, but it's going to be an interesting matchup nonetheless. Yeah, uh, Chelsea were in the final last year. Leicester can win their first FA Cup after they've been runners right. up for four times, most recently in 1969. So it's been a while. Chelsea obviously have had a lucrative history with the FA Cup, winning it eight times in their history. Just three years ago was the last time they won. And I'm hoping, personally, that Christian Pulisic brings home another trophy for the U.S. men's national team. He became the first U.S. player to score in the final last year. First male player, I should say. Uh, But from one domestic cup competition to another, the U.S. Open Cup here in the United States has been canceled among COVID-19-related financial and logistical difficulties. And it isn't help that despite it being called the Open Cup, most of the berths in the limited 16-team tournament that they were playing to hold would be going to MLS teams and not the amateur and lower league teams that made the tournament famous. And this angered a lot of fans, particularly the fans of lower league teams. So maybe it's the best to look forward to 2022. But overall, it's not a great look for the, for the league as a whole. Uh, next, we have MLS openers. MLS kicked off this weekend. We had some analysis of the big picture ideas of the opening weekend on Twitter. So follow us at Final Third Show for that. And we also have Norwich City back in the Premier League and Sheffield United leaving. Norwich City is back in the Premier League after clinching promotion after getting relegated last year. They went in and retooled and hopefully built themselves an up enough to last more than one season in the PL. They kept their manager from last year. I'm, I'm forgetting what his name was. Daniel but- Farka. Yeah, Farka, right. And so they really invested in longevity, and it got him back into the Premier League. So good for them. 
They'll replace Sheffield United, who just got relegated from the Premier League after accruing an abysmal 14 points from 32 matches, putting them dead last. After a campaign last year that saw them potentially reach up for European spots as a promotion side, to see them hit a sophomore slump in the worst way is kind of sad to see. So hopefully they can come back stronger than before. But Jack, that's kind of a sad note to end a real quick section off. So why don't you start off with a maybe a funny little uh, yeah. story that came yeah. out of the LAFC Austin uh, Austin FC match. Yeah, well, I was going to quick comment on the other thing uh, with yeah, sure. Norwich coming back up. Uh, fantasy Premier League managers are going to be really happy Ooh. to see Timu Puki come back Pookie into party, the mix. Let's go. Yeah, but fantasy managers in MLS fantasy are not so happy <laughs> this weekend after Carlos Vela was accidentally subbed out 22 minutes into the LAFC versus Austin game. I personally captained Carlos Vela, so I'm feeling that uh, that struggle. It was kind of funny. It looks like he was calling for a substitution. He was calling for a trainer, and you know <laughs> they subbed him out, and he was out for the rest of the game, which was a pretty a pretty funny uh, scenario and a bit of a lighthearted note to end the news on. Yeah, I will say LAFC did win that match. They did. So yeah. It, so it's not like it really mattered. But, you know, hearing Bob Bradley's comments at the end of the game said, yeah, that was my bad. I completely misread the situation. It was pretty funny. And since they won, you know, it, it's, it's not a huge mistake. It's just a lighthearted thing that happened. But now let's go into the U.S. men's national team corner. I got a, a little bit of a shorter one because I didn't have a, a huge, great idea on what exactly to talk about. But with MLS starting and a lot of good young players playing for the MLS that are, can potentially play for the U.S. men's national team, I decided to highlight the Americans to watch out for in MLS. Not a very uh, deep analysis, but I just wanted to list off the at least the names that I'm going to be looking out for and maybe a couple of reasons why. Uh, I have about 13 different teams that I'll, I'll be put it, paying really close attention to. Number one is Jossie Zardes at Columbus. We need a dependable striker, and to see him potentially do really well for Columbus is going to be huge. Aiden Morris is someone I had potentially on this list as well, but with him being out with, I believe, an ACL tear, it's going to be very hard for him to really find a place in that situation. Moving on west, I like Colorado Rapids. I like how young they are, and that's no, no short help from the fact that they're playing a lot of really young Americans. Sam Vines, Cole Bassett, and Kellen Acosta. Acosta's not really that young. But with Sam Vines, left back is thin. Our options there are Robinson, Dest, if you've moved him to the left, and question marks. And Sam Vines, who had a really good uh, Olympic qualifying tournament, in my opinion, if he develops even better here, it could be a, a good uh, move for him to really step up at Colorado and get into the picture for the team. Cole Bassett has a lot of upside as attacking midfielder. He had a really good breakout season last year, and hopefully he can build on that. And Kalen Acosta is actually really interesting because he recently came out saying that he has ambitions to move to Europe in order to kind of cement his place as a backup CDM towards going towards uh, the Gold Cup and the Nations League. So he really wants to stake his claim with the team and he wants to do well with Colorado so he can make a European move. So good for him. And of course, when we talk about uh, people moving to Europe, we also have to mention FC Dallas, who always moves a ton of people to Europe. Some homegrowns from them, Paxson Pomacall, Tanner Tespin, Jesus Ferreira, all could do really well this season if they're given the playing time that they need. Paxson Pomacall, Tanner Tespin are midfielders who can really add a lot to an attack. And Jesus Ferreira plays in that kind of false nine uh, connection position and 
we need a lot of striking options in the national team. So if he can step up, that'd be really, really good for the national team. Speaking of midfielders, Caden Clark and potentially Frankie Maya at New York Red Bulls are going to be huge. Caden Clark scored an absolute banger this past weekend for New York Red Bulls against, I believe, SKC. So we're going to see a lot more out of Clark, hopefully out of Amaya. Super young, super raw, and yeah, I'm going to be looking forward to watching some Red Bulls games. Also going to be looking forward for some Philly games, Philadelphia Union. Uh, there are some homegrowns that they have that I don't even know their names yet, but I know that they're going to somehow get MLS Best Eleven. But the ones I named here are Paxton Aronson and Anthony Fontana. Some really creative midfielders, the both of them, Paxton and Aronson, of course, being the bro- younger brother, I believe, of Brandon Aronson, who's currently at RB Salzburg. As I said, both creative midfielders who can add a lot to both Philadelphia Union's midfield and the U.S. men's t- national team's midfield three. When we talk about the midfield, we can always talk about the attacking aids, but we also have to mention the number six. We need uh, some good defense behind perhaps Jackson Ewell and Tyler Adams, and James Sands at NYCFC can be that player. He had you know a really good past couple seasons, and to see him step up this season would really cement his place as a number two or number three for that defensive midfield role. Busio at SKC, I believe, Jack, this was your pick for Young Player of the Year. Uh, Busio is given the number 10 spot in SKC, given the number 10 shirt even. And if he can prove that he is of a caliber to deserve that, would, will make the, the conversation of if he's the, the one to back up the likes of Weston McKenney or Yunus Musa even more intriguing. With San Jose, Jackson Ewell and Cade Cowell, Jackson Ewell needs no introduction. He's a very solid defensive midfielder, and Cade Cowell has the potential to be a really standout uh, attacking midfielder or winger. Robinson and Bello with Atlanta. Defense is something that's not always our strong suit with the national team, so to have a really standout uh, center back and potentially standout left back would do uh, great news for our depth. It would bring a lot of great depth for us. Matt, Hen- Matt Turner with New England Revolution. Backup keeper is important. He's really good shot stopping. I expect a great season from him. Araujo, Legette, Alvarez, and L.A. We need some right back depth. Araujo might be fourth or fifth, but to have the option is really good. Legette is key to unlocking our potential because he's just a workhorse, kind of like that West McKenney uh, roaming number eight role. And Alvarez is a really good winger. We don't know if he's going to choose us or Mexico, but you know he's still a good option. Chris Mueller with Orlando. He's a winger. He's sick. He's so cool. Really good uh, as uh, an attacking threat, but he needs to step it up because he's getting older. He might not be in the conversation anymore, so he needs to step it up with Orlando. Ibobasi Williamson at Portland. Striker and uh, defensive midfielder. Always good to have some options there. Uh, that's the end of my 13 list, but I, I guess Hassani Dotson I'll throw in as well. I don't think he's going to factor too much into the U.S. men's national team, but he's definitely someone I'm going to keep an eye on. Obviously, he's on my team. And with that, that's the end of the U.S. men's national team corner. Those are some players that I really think can do well with the U.S. men's national team and their respective club teams. It's really important going into World Cup qualifying, Gold Cup, and Nations League that we have a very deep pool. And if these young-slash-veteran players can really step it up here in MLS, it's only going to help us at the end. Uh, And with that, Jack, let's get started with last week's predictions. We had a lot of big games happen this past weekend. Last week, if you remember, we did horribly 
with the actual <laughs> predictions we got zero sorry zero out of a potential 100 points for the both of us from those five soccer games that we picked this year or this week sorry we're hoping to come back in a mean way get some points jack why don't you go over the the scoring system that we usually have here yeah, well, you get zero points for getting nothing right, obviously, and you get 10 points if you get the right result correct, and then you get 20 points if you get the exact scoreline correct along with that, and uh, that's how the scoring works for this. Obviously, the person with the most points wins, but uh, let's kick it off with uh, our two national teams uh, in, the women, in the women's game, the international break uh, was there. So, AJ, why don't you kick it off with France versus the U.S. women's national team? U.S. women's national team came out with their strongest lineup by far. With the likes of Kristen Press, Rapino, Morgan, B.U.S. Dunn, Lavelle O'Hara lining up for the U.S., it was very intimidating to see that lineup come up and be like, oh, this is just hell on earth. France did not come out with their strongest lineup, but admittedly it was still a pretty good team. But a huge performance from Ertz, Sauerbrunn, Dunn, and Press really put the power into the palms of the U.S. women's national team. A Rapino penalty and Alex Morgan goal gave the U.S. a 2-0 lead. And perhaps a miscalled offside France goal kept a clean sheet for our goalkeeper, Alyssa Nahir. I believe that's how you pronounce it. People always pronounce it differently. But maybe we didn't learn as much as we could have. But a win is a win for the U.S. women's national team. This lineup, in my opinion, wins the gold medal this summer, if we can uh, tout it out. I guessed a 2-1 win for the U.S. Women's National Team. Very close. If that offside call was actually uh, turned over, I would have gotten 20 points. But alas, that didn't happen. Jack had the 1-1 draw for zero points. Unfortunate. But here we go into Borussia Dortmund versus Man City in the Champions League. Jack, take it away. Well, it looks as if Pep Guardiola, it, well, it looked at least at the beginning as if Pep Guardiola's Manchester City UEFA Champions League quarterfinal curse, trademark, was coming to fruition in this game. Jude Bellingham, after unfairly having that goal taken off him in the first leg, had a wonderful strike in the 15th minute, making it 1-0 to to Dortmund, and City knocked, kept knocking on the door several times in the first half, but... Uh, Martin hits and the Dortmund backline got lucky several times. A few goal line clearances too from Dortmund. And as it stood at the half, it looked like Dortmund would progress on away goals. However, Pep just must have had a great halftime team talk. And just 10 minutes into the second half, an absolute whiffed header from Emery Chan came off his arm and Mahrez converted the penalty. Did City finally find their penalty taker? I don't know. Then, as he did in the first leg, Phil Foden, who, by the way, is still not as good as Mason Mount. Okay, okay, bro. Made the difference for Manchester City, converting a great effort into the right corner, making it 2-1 to one on the night. City had a comprehensive win, restricting Erling Holland to only one shot on target the whole game. A deserved win for Guardiola's team. AJ guessed 1-3, to three, very close for 10 points and i saw the light got one to two for manchester city for 20 points to be fair if people go back and listen to the predictions i said one to two as well towards man city i know i know but i changed it because you went first so i could have gotten 20 points off this i i will i will fully take credit 
uh, for the 20 points, but I will I will accept the 10 points that I've been given. I, I won't be a sore loser. Good job on that. And good job for not Minnesota United uh, in this matchup, Seattle Sounders versus MN and UFC. Our first MLS uh, matchup in the predictions section. Jack, you, you had a write-up on Twitter. It's very good about this game. So let's you can take this one as well. Yeah. Well, you know, if you take just the first half, this was a fantastic game for Minnesota. Yeah. But to borrow from Minnesota's own Inchi or Adrian Heath, goals change games. He says that about 1,000 times a season. And boy, did Seattle change the game a lot and often. Dane St. Clair, you know, uh, who should be Canada's number one, came up big in the 29th minute with a penalty save to keep it 0-0 going into the break. I think he's faced two penalties and saved them both, uh, which is, if, if that's correct, that's pretty fantastic. However, a spectacular effort from Seattle's Joao Paulo in the 50th minute set Seattle on their way. Uh, it was outside the box, around 25 to 30 yards out. Dane St. Clair couldn't get anywhere near it, but Raul Ruiz Diaz, who must have taken personal offense to his penalty getting saved, uh, got two goals in 15 minutes. And finally, to cap it off, Sounders icon Freddie Montero got a goal to mark his return to the club. A second half to forget to Minnesota, but perhaps a first half to build on in the future. Ultimately, Minnesota's slow start to the second half truly killed them in this game. So they have a lot to learn. There were some good things from Minnesota. You can check out the writer I uh, the write-up I produced on Twitter if you're interested in what I thought even more about that. But AJ, he bet against his own team and it paid off. Two, yeah. He guessed two to one to Seattle for ten points. I guessed a reverse of the Western Conference Final, which could not have been further from the truth. I guessed two to three for zero points. Yeah, I, I will say we did cover this game with our live stream, and you know we had a lot of opinions there. So if you want to find out even more than Jack's write up, you can always check out uh, the the ends our post match thoughts. Uh, in that live stream it's up on our youtube channel as well but from one heartbreak to another for athletic bill bow as they lost their second copa del rey final in like one or two weeks against yeah. barcelona and this was all barcelona from the jump athletic bill bow were playing ultra defensively and it was just not working they parked the bus but couldn't find the keys barcelona dominated in every sense of the word they outpossessed Athletic Club 77%, 23%, outshot them 14 to 7, and created more chances with 16 to 5. It was all Barcelona all the time. Somehow this match was only 0-0 at the half, but a Griezmann goal in the 60th minute opened the floodgates. The Frankie de Jong goal and a Lionel Messi brace sealed this game for Barcelona 4 to nil. Barcelona win the Copa del Rey, and I have some pretty interesting stats about this. Sergino Dest is the first American to win the Copa del Rey. He started this match, and we're all very proud of him. Lionel Messi is the first player to score in seven finals in the Copa del Rey. Really impressive from him. And Bilbao have lost their last six Copa del Rey final appearances and officially become, I think, the first to ever lose two finals within two weeks of each other. Kind of embarrassing from them. But, you know, they have always done well in cup competitions, winning the Supercopa this season. So I don't think they can walk away as sad that as, you know, maybe another team would. Uh, but Jack and I both bet on Barcelona to win this match. I said 2-0. I 
to Barcelona for 10 points. Jack's head, 3-1. to one. Kind of close, kind of far for another 10 points. Jack, that might not have been the most interesting matchup or the most interesting result even this week. Even if it's a Copa del Rey final, I think that might go to Atalanta versus Juventus in Serie A. A matchup that maybe not people were paying attention to, but walk us through what happened there. Yeah, well, this game was truly worth waking up at 8 a.m. for, I've got to say. After not beating Juventus in Serie A, for two decades, since before I was born, Atalanta finally beat the Turin Giants in a relatively complete fashion. Juventus were missing Cristiano Ronaldo for this game, and it showed. In fact, they've actually lost, uh, out of the seven games where he hasn't played for them, they have lost all but two of them, which wow. is a pretty, which is a pretty uh, scary stat for Juventus, I'd have to say. Uh, in fact, the first half only produced one shot on target right at the end of the half from Alvaro Morata, who had his effort cleared off the line by Atalanta defender Berat Jim City. This game looked to be heading towards a 0-0 draw. In, in fact, like when I, uh, when I tuned in after halftime, I was pretty confident uh, that it was going to end that way. A fourth successive league draw looked to be on the cars between the two, until the Ukrainian wonder kid, Ruslan Malinovsky, had an absolutely wonderful free kick initially saved by Wojciech Szczesny, and out for a corner in the 86th minute. Juventus thought they had dealt with the danger, but the corner was only cleared out halfway to Malinovsky, who did not miss on the second try. The shot did take a massive deflection off of Alexandro, but Ruslan Malinovsky, like Hassani Dotson, scores bangers only from outside the box. And he did that again. The deflection off Alexandro left Szczesny in no man's land, and Atalanta won with a relatively reserved, for their standards, 1-0 home win, but they'll take that. It leapfrogs them over Juventus into third, and it gives them a fifth successive league win. And AJ nailed this directly on the head, 1-0 yeah. uh, for 20 points. I guess, I thought that it would be a fourth successive league draw, and we were so close to, the, to that. Uh, I guessed 1-1 for zero points, but you know what? I'm an Atalanta fan, so I'm fine with AJ getting those points if it means that yeah, Atalanta sure. proved that they are better than the frauds Juventus. All right. Well, first of all, I wouldn't call them frauds. <laughs> I know. I just don't like Juventus, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have they have a lot to improve on. Really impressive from Atalanta, though. I think it really cements them as the third best team in Serie A this season. But it also cements Jack as the second best final third oh, no. podcast host. I finished this week with 60 points. After getting zero points last week, I have been, I was correct, Jack, on every single game. Yeah, so I, I got 20 points on one of them. You got 20 points as well, but you only got, what, two of the results correct? Yep. So I will take that 60 points for me. Jack had 30. That brings our all-time record at 5 to 9 to 1. So it's five wins, nine losses, and one tie for me. And I have officially, I think, leapfrogged you, Jack, because you have four wins, eight losses, and three ties. And the guests obviously have a better points per game than us, but I, I'm very happy about this result, obviously. But Jack, how are you feeling? Do you think next week you could probably uh, pick it up and get back on the winning side of things? I, I think so. I did, I did some heavy research for this one. I've, I've got to say, I had to get back. To, I have to get back to winning ways, you know. Okay, well, I I'm did one point behind you, technically. I'm one point behind you. You've got 16, if we use the typical scoring standards i've got 15 i gotta step it up 
All right. Well, I did not do a lot of research for this week, <laughs> but let's jump into this week's predictions to see how we differ on this. We have five really big, crucial matchups. We're going to start out with a, a women's soccer game and not NWSL, but the Women's Super League. Is that what it's called? The FA Women's Super League. Yep. Women's Super League. We have the two Giants, Man City Woman versus Chelsea's Woman Team. They're only separated by, I believe, two points on, two the, on points, the table. Yeah. They are definitely the best two teams in England right now. Whoever wins this, I mean, it could decide the title moving forward towards the end of the season. Jack, since you are a Chelsea fan, I'll let you take this one. Who yeah. is taking this matchup? Well, you know, this is the title-defining match. There are three games left in the FA Women's Super League. And whoever wins this could very well end up winning the entire thing. And Chelsea actually won this match twice this season. They beat City 4-2 to two in uh, the, I think it was the, shoot, I'm missing it now. Uh, I think it was the FA Community Shield, the FA Women's Community Shield. And they beat them in the league 3-1. to one. But, you know, Chelsea have a lot to worry about because they play Bayern Munich in the UCL semifinals. Uh and they play them four days after this match is supposed to take place. But Chelsea do have a strong squad. You know, they have Sam Kerr, who has 17 goals this season. They have the current, uh, you know, Women's Player of the Year, the UEFA Women's Player of the Year, Pernilla Harder on their team. And they have Fran Kirby and Bethany England, who is Chelsea's top goal scorer in the FA Women's Super League. Uh, although Sam Kerr is coming for that record with, uh, mm -hmm. with a menace. Of course, City aren't, aren't short on talent either. They have uh, Sam Mewis, who has 12 goals this season, and a bunch of other great forwards who can amass a ton of goals. You never know which one's going to pop up and do, and do really well on any given day. They also have Rose Lavelle, who I think, as AJ's described her before, basically a cheat code for the U.S. women's national team. Yes. Uh, so City and Chelsea, this is a powerful matchup. Overall, though, I'm going with the team that's won this twice before. I'm going with Chelsea. I think they're going to go a little bit more reserved than usual. Neither of these teams concede a lot of goals, but I'm going Chelsea to win two to one in this matchup. All right. I, I like how you say Chelsea have a lot to worry about with the Champions League and then immediately say that they'll be fine. I love I think it. So, yeah. Chelsea. Yeah, you're right. They have been dominant. Man City have Mewis and Lavelle, both who I absolutely adores players they're really really good you know Lavelle not getting a lot of playing time for Man City a lot of bench warming there but uh, whatever the case is with this game both are in very good form uh, you, you mentioned perfect I'm not going to get too much into it because you did a great job but the clincher for me is the fact that Chelsea have not lost the City in eight matches but they're both powerful and I believe that they have tied those you know past eight matches like five times or so yeah, that so sounds I, I have right. them canceling out here. I have a draw. I have a 1-1 one, one draw. I think they're going to play more not to lose than necessarily to win because they want to try to conserve their power. Chelsea to handle the Champions League and Man City to try to buy time and find uh, just try to be more consistent with the last final games and hope that Chelsea falter. I'm going with a 1-1 one, one draw. But that's, we're going fair, from... Yeah. We're going from one Chelsea team to another, and I didn't realize this, that we have two Chelsea teams uh, in these predictions. We got West Ham United versus Chelsea. 
we're, we might do a deep dive on this previewing the the ins and outs of this match but just here for the prediction section jack who do you think is taking the first annual or not annual but the first iteration of the final third derby well you know the these two teams have both been really good in the premier league this season uh this season west ham for now is uh one point ahead of chelsea uh after but they did just lose to newcastle which meant that newcastle right. did the double over west ham which i'm sure is not what any team wants uh and west ham are missing a lot of great players you know declan rice is out uh Mikhail antonio is out uh who uh, craig dawson virgil van dawson as you call him uh, i wouldn't call out. virgil van dawson now. maybe not maybe not anymore after a few own goals here and there uh but you know he is out as well with a suspension and west ham is looking like a pretty thin squad at the moment Chelsea are missing a few players as well. Mateo Kovacic is out for a little bit, and Andreas Christensen is too. But Chelsea have a much deeper squad than West Ham. And given West Ham's, uh, you know, unfortunate record recently of giving up a lot of goals uh, from winning positions, and I, I think that this is going to be a pretty mediocre game for West Ham. I think they could do pretty well. But overall, Chelsea have what it takes to do uh, to do the double over West Ham after getting the double done over them last time or last <laughs> season around. Uh, and I think that Chelsea are going to win this three to one. Normally, I would back Chelsea to keep a clean sheet. But with Jesse Lingard in the form he's on, I'm guessing he's going to bag one somehow. So I, I think it's going to end three to one to Chelsea. You, you mentioned some players that West Ham United were missing. Uh, I would also say Aaron Quest Cresswell. Oh right, I forgot about him. He yeah. he he seems like he might be able to uh, come back for that. Uh, David Moyes did say that he's also not ruling out Mikel Antonio or Declan Rice for the season. It looks like they may be able to come back uh, for the last couple of games, but potentially, probably not this one. You're right. West Ham United are missing a lot of players. Craig Dawson, obviously, for not an injury but a suspension. Hopefully Cresswell or Masuaku can step up for West Ham. But you're right. It's a very, very different world that both Chelsea and West Ham are currently living in. And if I had to back one of those two teams to make the top four, I would probably say Chelsea. If I had to back a team to win this match, it would probably be Chelsea. If I had to back uh, a team to just be the better team overall, it would be Chelsea, even with all of our players healthy. With that being said... I cannot bet against West Ham United, not in this match, not in this match, not in the final third derby. I don't care if we end up losing four to zero. I, 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 I will feel completely guilty if I get points from a West Ham United loss, at least to Chelsea, at least in this matchup right here. So I'm going with a two to one win for West Ham United. I say West Ham United score first just on a crazy, crazy goal by uh. <laughs> I'll say Agbana. Agbana scores a header. It's crazy. Okay. And then in in the in the thirtieth minute, Mason Mount scores or something stupid that will get me mad during the live stream. <laughs> and then in the in the ninety plus seventh minute, Jesse Lingard scores oh to make God. it two one for West Ham United. If you want to find out if that's what actually happens, check out our live stream this Saturday. We're going to stream this match. 
all of our reactions, all of our all of our tears of joy and tears of sadness will be there. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be a crazy, crazy matchup. Jack, be honest. Do you think you're getting 10 points? Do you oh, think yeah. you're going to get 10 points? Oh, yeah, okay. I, I, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. OK, well, whatever. Next, we have a match that might be a little bit harder to read. It's LAFC versus Seattle Sounders in the MLS uh, regular season. Both teams had a very powerful outings this past opening weekend. LAFC won 2-0 over Austin. Seattle Sounders, as we mentioned, 4-0 over Minnesota. But when we decide, like, who can win this match, I think LAFC will expose Seattle's shortcomings and where they lack the reinforcements that they failed to bring in. I think we mentioned this in our uh, season previews for MLS. Seattle Sounders might be a team that could disappoint this season due to the fact that they lost a lot of great players and haven't brought on real reinforcements that can plug in the holes that those players that left left behind. And so even though Seattle did win 4-0 against Minnesota, I think that says a lot more about Minnesota than it does <laughs> Seattle, perhaps. And I think LAFC did a really good job handling a very powerful expansion side, at least right now, what it looks like, very powerful expansion side of Austin FC. The fact is at home at LAFC's Bank of California Stadium, I'm going to say LAFC take this 3-1. to one. Jack, what say you? Well, I think that it's going to be tough to separate these teams. Uh, I'm not sure how LAFC will do breaking down the block that Seattle seems to be playing, given that they're missing Nico Lodero. Uh, we saw them play five at the back against Minnesota, and I think they might do that again. And LAFC, they are a good team, uh, but you know they're not necessarily complete, I guess, like all the time. They, they can make mistakes, and they've done it before. And Seattle, you know, they've got some good talent up top. Raul Ruiz Diaz, Freddie Montero, both opening up their accounts for the season in emphatic fashion. And ultimately, I can't separate these two. I think that it's going to be a 2-2 draw, personally. Mm. And I think that will be an exciting 2-2 draw. I don't, I, and, uh, you know, I, but if I had to back a team to ultimately win it, I'd probably say it's LAFC, but I'll stick with the draw. All right, all right. Now, we are all different in results right now. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, differentials right now. So we haven't agreed on a result so far. So that's that's new. <laughs> that is new. Usually we're kind of on, on the same wavelength. So let's see how Lyon versus Lille in League A uh, uh, turns out because this is a huge matchup. Both teams are in honestly kind of inconsistent form, dropping games that they could have won. These matches are always tense and close. I don't have a lot to say other than I'll, I'm going to go with the draw because that's what it's been for the past four of the six meetings between these two teams. They're both very close in the table. They both definitely don't want to lose. I think they're going to draw level on one to one. Jack, what do you think about this behemoth of a, a league uh, matchup? Well, you've jinxed it because that's what I was originally going to go with a one to one. Okay. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to change mine slightly, probably. Uh, but let me just talk about these teams, because Lille, they need the points. They they dropped points in a very what should have been a very winnable match this past weekend against Montpellier. They should have won that. But because they didn't, now they're only one point off uh, of dropping out of the top spot. And, you know, they really want to win this because they're not going to get a better chance to win this the league on title 
than they have right now. And with all of the teams, the top four teams are separated by three points currently. You know, this has massive implications. And overall, I'm I'm going to back Lille to win this now. I'm going to go for it. I think it's going to be a conservative win. I'm going to go for a 1-0 win for Lille. You know, Lille are one of the best defensive teams in the division. In fact, they are the very best defensive team in the division. And Lyon, while they ha- while they can be good defensively, they're also prone to some mistakes and sloppy defending, as we saw most recently in their game that ended re- uh, today against Nantes, where they dro- where they almost dropped a point due to some very sloppy defending, from what I've seen, what I just saw on Twitter. Uh, and because of that, I think Lille are going to go out and try and win this one. Uh, it could end up zero zero as well, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold and go for Lille to win this one. One to zero. Wow, I love it. I hope Tim Weah scores that one goal. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, that would be that would be great. Yeah, but we go from one really really big matchup, a lot of title implications, to the title game of the EFL Cup. The League Cup in England is being contested between Man City and Tottenham Hotspur. This has great implications for both Man City and their legacy. Hopefully, getting a treble. They they lost the FA Cup, but they could still potentially win the treble and Tottenham Hotspur who needs to win this if they want to keep Harry Kane because they need a trophy. Jack, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, well, this is going to be interesting because both of these teams are probably going to be missing their talisman. Now, Man City are going to be missing Kevin De Bruyne, who got an injury in the FA Cup semifinal. Tottenham Hotspur look like they're going to be missing Harry Kane uh, in this, which is a massive loss for them, uh, to be honest. Uh, and because because of that, you know, Man City have one of the deepest squads in Europe right now. They they could pretty much field an entire second team lineup, and it would still be most pretty much better than Tottenham Hotspur's first team. That's how good they are. Uh, you know, and without Harry Kane, Tottenham Hotspur only have one player who can really change games, which is Hyunmin Son. And he's a great player. I'm not going to take anything away from him. But without Harry Kane, I ultimately just can't see Spurs putting up a challenge against Manchester City. And especially because, you know, City need this trophy. They, they've, you, like you said, they want that treble. And because of that, I think that City are going to go for this. And I think they're going to win it 2-0. to zero. All right. All right. Well, I also went for a Man City win. I would go for... A Tottenham win just to make it different. But I just that's how much I don't believe in Tottenham. It's not just because I don't like Tottenham. It's just because I just don't believe in their squad. Yeah. I will say it looks like Harry Kane could be able to come back. I think he's gonna miss uh their game against, I believe, Southampton in the midweek. But you know, he he was able to leave last game without crutches, without a boot or anything. So if he's walking, he might be able to, you know, make an appearance. I, I believe I wholeheartedly think that he's going to push for an appearance. He's going to push for uh, him starting in this match because that's just who he is, and he wants to win a trophy with uh, Spurs. But Man City, even without, with, with, even without De Bruyne, they have an insane spot, squad. Yes, Raheem Sterling is not in great form at all, but Gundogan back in a false nine role because KDB is out, pretty, pretty... Good, pretty enlightening to say the least. This is his form when he's in that role. So I, I really believe in them. However, with this being a cup final, I don't think that they're going to play as openly as 
say they would before. And I think that's the case for both teams. I'm going with Man City to win this in a pretty conservative one to zero win. With our luck, it's going to be a five four win for Tottenham. So well, who knows? that could be possible given that Tottenham's back line seems to have forgotten how to defend. Uh, and I'm pretty sure since both of us support London based teams, neither of us want Tottenham to win a trophy. We want to keep we want to keep being able to banter them for never winning anything, I think. Yeah, I would love to see Zach Steffen win a trophy, exactly. another U.S. player. So do I think he's going to start this match? Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, he'll still get that trophy and they'll be a lot better than Harry Kane, Bale or Son winning that trophy. But with that, those are our predictions. Jack, how are you feeling about this week? Do you think you can come back and win? I'm hoping so. I, I, I think so, especially since you picked West Ham. I've got I've to hope Chelsea come through for me. I, I really hope so. If, if Lingard wins it in the 90th minute, I'm going to be furious. I've got to say. I will, I will sing Bubbles live. Live, okay. Live on stream, if that happens. If we win it all. That's how, that's how much I just don't think we will. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm feeling pretty confident other than the West Ham game. I think I've made some good choices. So hopefully all the other games make up for that. But that is the end of our episode. Jack, what do you have to say for all of our listeners listening currently? Yeah, as always, make sure to follow our Twitter at Final Third Show. Our Instagram is the same, the uh, Final Third Show on there. You can follow us to see some good and maybe bad takes on uh, things that are happening in the soccer world. And also just to get information about live streams that we're potentially doing and giving you our opinions on those games. And also, I want to say, you know, we're experiencing some awesome growth on, on the podcast. We're almost to 750 downloads for since we've started this, which is awesome. So thank you all so much for listening to our to us. Just talk about soccer. Yeah. And keep that growth going by telling a friend. Uh, telling your dad, even following us on whatever podcast platform you, you listen to us on and you know, leaving a rating uh, either on Apple Podcasts or Podcast X is really good. Five stars and just a couple sentences on why you like the show is always, always appreciated. And yeah, we'll see you guys this Thursday for our deep dive episode. Don't know quite yet what we're going to talk about, but it's going to be really interesting nonetheless. We'll see you same time, same place for next week's news and predictions show. See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>